Okay, we're recording we're, now. We're warming up. Oh, yeah. Okay, trigger warning. We're going to say the C word. It doesn't work twice. Not that C word, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might do that, too. I guess it's a good catch-all for all the various slurs that start with C, but we're talking about the mental illness one. I mean, who isn't crazy in this day and age? That means everyone's allowed to say it. Yeah, right. As we were discussing off mic, <laughs> you should be allowed to call people that if you have them you yourself are crazy or fall under some definition of or have been called a crazy cunt like Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Hunker down folks. Buckle in. It's going to be a rough ride. The double C word. Yep. C bomb. I just wanted to drop to ruin the podcast from the start. Yeah. Hell yeah. Sorry. Leave it all in, Paul. <laughs> please. It's so, it's gold. <laughs> no, Man, it's not I, my podcast. I shouldn't be doing shit like that. Paul, take it out. <laughs> well, shit. It's always good to like warm up a little with some problematic banter <laughs> when you've been in your house all day, not talking to anyone. Yeah, same. So. I just woke up. Dude, I was about to say I've been keeping a very weird schedule lately because... It's not that I'm a bartender. Like, you have an excuse, at least. I am just working on my book proposal, mm -hmm. and I don't have a day job right now that I have to be at consistently. So, you know, when left to my own devices, I just start staying up till 5 a.m. every day. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know. I guess it's not, I'm supposed to feel bad about that. No, it's normal for people like us. <laughs> this is when lockdown started in 2020 i immediately just reverted to that because it's normal yeah i think <laughs> i mean what again what is normal there's no such thing but i my boyfriend is a teacher so uh it kind of puts me at odds with him but uh i i knew the day would come when i was still lying in bed on my phone when he came from home from work and i was like all right when that happens, I need to try a little harder yeah. to make myself be earlier again. But that hasn't happened yet. So he gets home at like three. Yeah. So. <laughs> glad, glad to be among, uh, you know, we're all fucking vampires here, right? Yeah. I could see how that would be a problem if you cohabitate with someone. But I just live with my cat. It was mm. also nocturnal. It's just annoying when he comes home from work and he's ready to like smoke a bowl, you know, and I'm like, ah, shit, I have so much shit to do. I can't do, I can't get high right now. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I do anyway, but usually I'm like, no. It's a real problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not being able to get high. <laughs> well, no, like lose, because the thing about being nocturnal is that you still have to live in a society full of other people. So it does cause problems. Like I used to li live, you know, like this, but I noticed after a while I would get up and then go like my friends would be like, let's go to the bar. It's like my early twenties and you just do that every day. Mm. Uh, but I would be getting drunk technically first thing in the morning and they were mm. all at the end of their day. And I would realize like, Oh wait, this is really <laughs> messing up. Like, my ability to get stuff done because then the second part of the day when everyone went to sleep is when I was technically supposed to be like running errands and shit and just be trashed. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah, that that would be a problem. No, you have to be very disciplined about it. I'm a very disciplined vampire. Ooh, that water looks good. Can I have some too? Yeah, do you want to drink it out of a quart container like you're in the bear? Sure. I um that's how I drink it Me usually. Too. It's just all right, I'm going to pause real quick. Okay, we're rolling. We're rolling. Okay, so, um, yes, this is... A- <laughs> Yes, this is communism. Uh, <laughs> would you like to speak to one of the managers? Uh, no, this is everybody loves communism. It's still called that. Uh, we have been doing it that way for so long. I don't think that we're going to be able to change it now. Uh, but that's okay. Cause like, whatever, who cares? I was going to ask. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not my favorite name I've ever come up with for a podcast, but, uh, <laughs> You know, we're just going to have to roll with it. I like the abbreviation ELC because it reminds me of ESL. Mm. We're learning communism as a second language. Like it, like it. I mean, it. I, it, I'm i stuck with it. So whatever you can say that'll make me feel better about it, please. Well, that's the thing about titles, you know. I hate Pod Damn America. I think it's a stupid joke by today's standards, but uh, it's a, it's the name of a thing that became successful so it's just stuck i like it i i think it's good um i I think it's been harder to name this show because we all come from slightly different both traditions as communists and like mm, how shall we say this like subcultural scenes Mm -hmm. so it's not like oh yeah you're all vaguely anarchist adjacent punk rockers that's the aesthetic of that show yeah uh you know not talking about any show in particular but uh this it's like well honestly i mean i didn't think that hard about it at the outset but it's like yeah we do all love communism that's what uh unites the three of us so Mm You know, I, I mean, if hopefully if we're successful enough, it'll just become like a, just a signifier for our show, you know, mm-hmm. that people don't really think about the actual words. Like, like when was the last time someone really thought about the name Chapo Trap House, you know? I think about it sometimes, but <laughs> it's not a good way. It's mm. kind of silly. I don't know if there's an, if a show whose name is like good in retrospect like this there it all just kind of melds into whatever but you know they're like bands you know bands can have terrible names Mm -hmm. and just it's the band that you like most exactly it's the podcast that you like that's what we're going for so yeah this is uh elc i didn't mean to say it was a terrible name by the way i just (laughs) meant that like what you're describing about how it's not related to the show it's totally it is related to the show it's just not that clever but you know what we're going to roll with it and maybe it's maybe it's actually good i don't know i'm very hard on myself so i feel like you're being very hard on yourself right now okay well good um <laughs> yeah we're gonna we're gonna do the podcast thank you for the pep talk this is elc pod which is a good name that i have never had any negative feelings about i'm here with jake flores hello my buddy good to be here i love communism my comrade and goth socialism and uh 
like buddy <laughs> yeah instead of comrade we should call each other buddies sure buddies. <laughs> sure i'm i'm all for it um but yeah, today we're going to talk a little bit about the Netflix show Dahmer and uh, maybe use that as a jumping off point. Talk about some uh, shit that we are both interested in as communists. How does that sound? That sounds great, Jamie. I'm trying to talk <laughs> like him. Um, oh, oh, boy. Is that voice stuck in your head after watching nine million episodes of the show? Now it is. <laughs> now it is. It's, it was weird to me how normal it got over the amount of time. Because the first episode, I was like, I just started laughing. I was like, this is insane <laughs> that they would just make him look like Anders and sound like that. <laughs> but after a while, it just beca- it's like the name of the show. You just stop thinking about it. And you're like, yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer just talks like this. I mean, if you're from the Midwest, which neither of us are, it's probably not weird to you. I also thought it was kind of funny, but, uh, yeah, this show, man, (laughs) woof, where, where do we begin? Hopefully people are still like thinking about it and caring about it. I know that I'm probably going to be thinking about some of this shit for a long time because it was really fucking disturbing. Well, I'm glad you asked me to talk about it because I mean, I watched it in October when it was being pushed, obviously, but it stuck with me. I have a lot of thoughts about it and I think that anyone who watched it has not forgotten about it. So it's a perfectly fine thing to rehash at this given moment later in the year. (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, So, okay. There's so much to talk about. I have divided this into categories uh, and maybe at the end we can get to a little bit of like what true crime as a genre even is all about and talk about its popularity. So, okay. First of all, I want to make it clear that this show is definitely trying to be political. It's not just some random, uh, I guess it's not technically true crime. I guess it's more of like a biopic, right? Yeah. It's of Dahmer. Odd that it's a biopic because <laughs> that's usually a genre of storytelling that like is done in a positive sense. Mm. I think that's what threw people about it is because it sounds like possibly that it is uh glorifying to use the big liberal online mm. word this evil person i don't think that's true i just think that that's what uh, it's it's fair if that's where your brain went when you saw a jeffrey Dahmer biopic get put out yeah yeah fair i mean we could talk about some of the controversy around the show um now later whatever it, it doesn't exactly paint him in a flattering light I will say. I don't think so. I think it makes him look pretty bad. (laughs) Uh, As well as, you know, he's not the only, like, it's not just about him. It's about the system, man, which I appreciated as someone who is very critical of the system. Uh, There was also controversy I read because Netflix apparently gave it the LGBT tag. (laughs) And some gay people were like, um, that's not who we want representing us. It's only supposed to be for the good ones. So I think what happened there is that if you know the story of Jeffrey Dahmer or you watch the show and learn the story of Jeffrey Dahmer, that that's confusing because it sounds like it's referring to him because he was gay. But I think that the, and if you watch the show, they do a pretty good job of representing this, that, that what they were trying to do was probably honor his victims, a lot of whom were gay and from like the gay like world and scene. So the story of Jeffrey Dahmer told through this Netflix series is like 
you know, obvious it's pro <laughs> pro LBGTQ, obviously. But uh, that was what we call a bad look. yeah no i mean i get it like uh it really was only recently that you stopped seeing uh gay people and trans people portrayed exclusively as like psychos and murderers in the in the media so in in movies so like i get it but also yeah there's um there's a lot of gays in this story and most of them were most of the work of people most of them were, uh, they were fine. Uh, some of them, and I think maybe the show tries to get around some of the uh, the bad vibes about, oh, well, does this psycho killer really deserve a biopic on Netflix? Uh, I mean, okay, A, he's dead, so, like, he can't really, like, he doesn't know that it's happening. Yeah. But also, like it's not very flattering to him. And I think the show kind of tries to tell the stories of some of these guys that he killed as well to try to like humanize the victims a little bit. Yeah. I don't think, uh, people are, I think it's a very fairly told story, which is, uh, I, I, maybe I'm in the, I'm definitely the minority here. I mean, this is a hot take or whatever, but I, I liked it and I thought it was a good show and it was a good idea to make it. But, the idea of telling the story of someone like this fairly is controversial. I mean, but I would, I would, I guess I would just ask why, like why that's controversial. It gets into this logic, like, you know, immediately following like a past shooting, a mass shooting or something like that, where we talk about the shooter and go, we shouldn't name them. We shouldn't put them in the news. There's some negative byproduct of this in uh, giving them maybe what they want by putting their name out there. And serial killers often have this megalomaniacal thing where they enjoy the fact that they become infamous from what they're doing. But like you said, he's dead. And I think that um, if, you know, it's tricky because if you're directly traumatized by something like this, you know, yeah, it's going to be a really annoying, uh, not annoying is like an understatement. It's going to be, traumatic that something like this gets made but and they did not talk to the victim's families by the way yeah totally and that sucks and they should have done that this is obviously like imperfect i have plenty of criticisms of it myself that being said i don't know i mean this this show honestly is a cross-section of a lot of uh things that i think about a lot and one of them is just has to do with art and like you know should you make that the morality of of uh art that's kind of transgressive and goes in in uh taboo places and i kind of think that eventually someone needed to make something about what actually goes on in the mind of a serial killer because we're not going to get anywhere artistically with just um only portraying them as reductive evil supervillains I mean, that's fine. You know, that's you can make a fun story out of that, too. Or you can make a super trashy X-rated thing where it's like glorifying, you know, and it's like making a comic book character out of it. But uh, there are real questions about why people do these things that they explore in this show. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I I mean, it is a little pulpy. You know, it is Ryan Murphy. So it's always going to walk that line. Was this the fucking the American Horror Story? Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't even realize that. that. I just watched uh, AHS New York, which I was going to bring up in regard with regards to oh, this. Oh wow! It's kind of similar with the LGBTQ stuff. 
Um, I didn't even look into who made it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And honestly, I think this is better executed than his like fictional stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I was surprised when I saw that he made it, but also it made sense because most of his stuff is just fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It's absurd. <laughs> it's like, it's high camp, you know? Yeah. So like, if anything, I think he was really holding it in for this <laughs> one, which is pro it's probably good that he did that. Yeah. Well, he, uh, he did a pretty good job with like, the OJ trial. I feel like his his when he has a an actual crime story to work off of, he huh. doesn't get all uh free associating with like the metaphors and stuff like he does mm. in American horror story. <laughs> and jeez, yeah. You're able to rein this guy in, he can tell a story. That's that's really interesting. It's it's like how Jim Carrey is good in dramatic roles. Yeah. <laughs> and like Adam Sandler, you know? Yeah. But yeah, most yeah. of the time they just do like the worst bullshit imaginable. <laughs> You just have to put them in the right context. Like, you know, like Jeffrey Dahmer, like a young troubled man growing up in suburbia. You know, you have to, uh, you have to keep an eye on him. You have to guide him. Otherwise he's going to do terrible things. Yeah. And he wasn't guided. That's one argument that is put forth in the story <laughs> is nurture and not nature. Maybe it's his dad's fault, but we'll get to that. Yeah. So, okay. I think, um, we should talk about the sort of political messaging and the race stuff in this show because it is not subtle. <laughs> I think it's trying to send a very political message and maybe it's not sure what it is, but I think there's a lot of abolitionist wisdom that you can take from it. Surprisingly enough for a true crime story, right? Because most people think of this stuff as like propaganda or whatever, but this show is definitely not that. Yeah, and well, usually stuff like this is propaganda, but that is usually, I think, a byproduct of what they do with the villain in the story, which is that they reduce them to a moral evil and an unexplainable one. And when you have someone who's reduced to the, you know, thinking about them the way we think about like a rat infestation in your apartment or something, that leads to a very easy, you know, message of we need the police to get mm -hmm. rid of this thing and that's it. And you know, this sh show did a pretty good job of showing you that the story of Jeffrey Dahmer is one of him existing and the, uh, people having plenty of arguments over why he was doing what he was doing. But ultimately that being irrelevant in the face of a situation where for, for, no matter why he was out there killing people and running amok, the fact that it was happening was because of the failures of the institutions of policing and mm -hmm. racism and homophobia and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But the police are like shown as is true to the story to have come well within earshot of him tons of times and then had insane reasons for overlooking him <laughs> oh um, just because they were homophobic or racist and didn't feel as though his neighborhood needed to be policed. Oh, don't look in there. There's, there's gay stuff in there. Yeah. And they're like, ew, we don't want to catch AIDS. Yeah. He, he uses that. It works so many times. Yeah. And that was real. He really did that. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. The cops are consistently bad in this show. I don't think anyone can come away from this show thinking that the cops are good or the criminal justice system. Really? Uh, you know, they might come away thinking, oh, we just need to make them better. 
Uh, but they're very, very, the way they're portrayed is, you know, they're bad folks. We know this, you know, this, if you're listening to this show, um, like when the, 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 one of the victims and most of his victims were, uh, people of color, when the black guy escapes from him, like the, his final attempt at murdering someone, uh, this guy escapes and he flags down a cop car like help help this guy's trying to kill me initially they point their guns at him because obviously you know it's a black guy running around yeah they're like oh well he must be up to no good um they i mean this is really fucked up they bring back the 14 year old laotian boy to Dahmer after he managed to escape and they believe his story that this is his 19 year old boyfriend and everything's fine. Yeah. They like, they literally bring him back to Dahmer and the neighbor lady is like, Hey, Hey, I think something's not right. I don't, I think something's not right here. This is obviously a child. And they're like, you know, shut up. Mind your own business, Glenda. And they're, they're like, obviously racist. They, they ask him like, Oh, what's a guy like you doing living here in this, uh, in this black neighborhood? Basically. Um, they repeatedly ignore the calls from his neighbor, Glenda Cleveland, who, has noticed some bad stuff going on and wants the cops to stop him from killing people. Um, yeah, the cops call the family of the Laotian boy later and make racist death threats against them because they're suing the city for, you know, gross negligence or whatever. Um, the cops, oh yeah, the cops who brought the kid back to Dahmer briefly get suspended with pay because the police chief is basically trying to prevent a race riot. And then they are immediately reinstated and, in fact, given an award by the cop union. That's um, that's that's just great. Uh, meanwhile, Glenda Cleveland, you know, after she's been like not believed and, and gaslit by the cops all this time, uh, they they're like, we got to throw her some kind of something because this looks really bad. So they give her the Citizens Merit Award. And she goes, she goes up and she's like, I will accept this award on one condition that in the future you do better. And I'm like, oh yeah, right. Yeah. Fucking right. <laughs> like yeah. that's going to happen. <clears throat> I think that, um, if all this stuff wasn't historically accurate and true, you could, uh, be forgiven for making an argument that this story, the show actually was unfairly antagonistic of police and not <laughs> heavy hand or heavy handed and not like fair like it is with like the fucking serial killer at the heart of it but the fact of the matter is all this shit happened so good to tell the story that way it's gonna seem a little bit hard on cops but that's only in contrast with the rest of like true crime and shit like that which is grossly the other direction i will say i have listened to a little bit of true crime have you Ton, I've yeah. listened to some true crime podcasts, not because I like them, but I was on a road trip with my friend, Debbie. She says, hi, by the way. Hi, Debbie. And uh, she likes these true crime podcasts. So we would like alternate between uh, one of her fucked up true crime podcasts and one of my like fun, good socialist podcasts. And she actually got into some of uh, some of the good ones through this, which I feel very proud of. But um yeah, listening to the true crime ones, it's interesting because a lot of them are about how much the cops suck. Yeah. Like they go over it. They're like, I think we listened to the one about uh, Ted Bundy, which, the one who killed all those boys. You know which podcast you listen to? It's called Morbid. Okay. You ever listen to that one? No. I'm a big last podcast on the left fan and the, uh, mostly because they're 
they're the funniest one. They're like comedy oriented people. Um, but like I, there's a hot take that goes around Twitter. Maybe not even a hot take cause it's so common. There's a very common take, which, which we're probably all familiar with. And we probably all tend to agree with, which is that true crime, uh, is bad cause it's propaganda and liberals love it and don't see that they're reinforcing this sort of system in, uh, you know, in their consumption of this thing, right? And that's true as a rule, I think, but I think if you're into this genre, you see like uh, that it's it's not 100% of the time and that people in true crime have heard this criticism enough to try to evolve it from there. I think Last Podcast does a pretty good job with that because what they're doing comedically is just um, like lampooning everyone involved in the situation. And so often they make the point of this thing happening because the cops sucked so hard i don't know if they're perfect about that sometimes it's the cop saves the day and that's like problematic obviously um sometimes i mean but that's the thing though about police is like i'm a fucking abolitionist i want to defund the police i think they all suck and they should be replaced by something um however some sometimes detectives do solve serial killer cases. That's the only good thing that they're fucking doing. That's, that's the part of the job that people use as examples of why we need them because it's a thing we all can agree upon, or at least they, you know, are the person that nabs a killer or whatever. Yeah. I mean, sure. I think it is important to, uh, to note, like if they ever do, sometimes they might do something good, but that's not why they exist. And, also, like in the case of Jeffrey Dahmer, um, they only managed to do the right thing when they had been given the chance to do it like a hundred times. Yeah. And then finally, finally, they fucking, uh, you know, put down their donuts and <laughs> went to his apartment and they're like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Like there's a fucking human head in his fridge. Oh, fuck. <laughs> when it's like that obvious. And then usually it's like somebody else did all the groundwork of getting them and then just calls the cops and then they take credit for it as if, you know, they give each other awards and shit over having solved the the Dahmer case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the criminal justice system too, in this is, um, not portrayed very well. It's not just the cops folks, the whole damn system. Like, um, when he gets convicted of drugging and sexually assaulting this teenage boy, the cop is so fucking nice to him. Remember? He's like, you're not the kind of person who belongs in the system. And I'm like, dude, he's the only kind of person who belongs in the system. Like he's literally the, like this is the only person who I maybe think it would be justified to like (laughs) involuntarily confine them to keep them from, you know, hurting people. Whereas most of the crime, quote unquote crime that happens, most interpersonal harm uh, is not something that should be dealt with in the same way. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's a pretty clear-cut example, I think, of like the institutional racism because he's because he's a white, shaggy-haired, fucking blonde guy, mm-hmm. and a young kid. He gets boys will be boys like the entire time <laughs> he's yeah. involved with the the um the system. You know, the when he's raising court and shit like that. 
which would like I think what Ryan Murphy's probably trying to say through the story there is this would not happen to a guy who wasn't white. Yeah, right? I, I think that's the implication there where he's like, you're not the kind of person who belongs here. You know, you've got your you've got such a nice life ahead of you. You come from such a nice white family like you should be in college. You know, who cares about that kid? He's Asian, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh there's so much stuff here that like uh, tingles my abolitionist spidey sense. Um, I'm gonna scroll down. Uh, yeah, I mean Jesse Jackson is in this too. He gets involved and he said, you know, it's basically a, a, impossible to hold the police accountable for bad stuff they do. Um, we really need to uh, transform, not just you know. He he takes the focus off of just Jeffrey Dahmer, who's obviously. A sick fuck but uh puts it on like the conditions that allowed him to kill 17 people before he was caught and i think that's a very fair thing to do um also there's a lot of like we keep us safe in here yeah like pretty much the only people who are able to do anything about Dahmer are members of marginalized communities who are used to you know these sort of uh, unofficial community forms of of safety, right? Like he gets kicked out of the bathhouse, the gay bathhouse, because the community is kind of policing itself. And they're like, you can't keep coming in here and drugging guys. That's, yeah. that's, that's not okay. Um, I mean, they don't He's have like, ah, okay. <laughs> 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 well, I'll show myself out. <laughs> and then he just goes to a fancy hotel and kills someone there instead. Um, and like, yeah, Glenda, the neighbor, she's keeping an eye on things. She knows something's not right. I mean, I think her mistake was expecting the police to fucking do anything, but I don't know what other options she had in that situation. Yeah. I mean, she was poor. What, what do you, what would you do you know if you were in that situation and even tried to call the police and got the same runaround i mean that's when you have a moment with the police where you realize like oh this is like a fake idea that exists in society that you can call someone and they'll do something mm-hmm. kind of reminds me when my bike got stolen i sorry that that's Aww. my thing and i keep bringing it up but i, I had this <laughs> thing happen to me one time where very i very on brand jake <laughs> this thing happened to me a few years ago where i had a bike stolen and then i found it and I was, it was locked up like on my street, like somebody in the neighborhood had stolen it, repainted it and then sold it to someone else, I think. And I literally looked at it, like there was a cop walking by and I went, Hey, Hey, I, I want to report a stolen bike. That bike's my bike. And he just went like, you can't prove it and kept walking. And I was like, Oh, right. This is not a thing. Like no. once you have that realization and you break the, the idea, the floating around that the police serve a function you you enter this really interesting space where you go oh there's no you you literally you have to do street justice like there's just no justice you can't actually call a number so i'm sure like that woman glenda was i mean imagine being in that situation what would you do could you move no you don't have enough money you'd be worried about the next person to move in and she was like pretty fucking bold to keep going after him like that yeah. Like she knew that he was killing people. She had a pretty strong suspicion and she kept calling the cops on him. She eventually got him evicted from his apartment. I don't know if did that really happen? It happened in the show. 
She complained about him repeatedly is my point. And she didn't let him scare her away even when he like tried to intimidate her. Yeah. So. And I mean, it's not on, it's not <clears throat> on screen in the story, but she probably had a job she was working at during all of this, you know, which is another thing that when you compute the reality of the situation, uh, you, like that, that's probably exhausting in and of itself. And then you just have this weird neighbor that you're like, kind of certain is up to something but you don't really know oh god the smell yeah this she smelled the dead bodies in his apartment he was not smart about any of this either like he didn't do he like i don't think he was that smart he didn't do a great job covering up his crimes his apartment always smelled like death uh like, it's really bad that the cops didn't figure this out any of the times they came. Yeah, he's not like a like a serial killer like in Seven or something like that that's depicted as meticulous and is only evading the police as a mastermind, which is a narrative <laughs> that kind of serves the police that you see yeah. all the time. Like, oh, they didn't catch him? Must be a genius. Yeah. Not our fault. <laughs> no, he's a fucking bumbling, psychopathic idiot who... It's, it's just damning to everyone involved that he made it as far as he did. Okay. Interestingly enough, I looked this up a little bit and they, they say that he was not a psychopath. Um, a psychopath might've actually been better at covering his tracks. Um, I mean, okay. You know, maybe this will only take us so far and I don't want to be ableist. Obviously I don't think everybody with these diagnoses is going to kill people. But it probably did play a role that he, uh, according, he was diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder, as well as a couple other things. Where did it go? Uh, schizotypal personality disorder and a psychotic disorder. Um, they never scanned his brain because the the judge decided when his parents were fighting over the remains of his brain, the judge decided like, they're like, let's just put it behind us. You know, we don't need to scan his brain and try to figure out if that holds any clues to why he did these things. Yeah, I think that judge was stupid. I was like, no, you should absolutely scan his brain because, you know, obviously, obviously I'm a materialist. I like to look more at like the social causes and I don't want to be doing like phrenology or whatever, but it is true. Like psychopathy is an alternate brain structure that some people have. It shows up on a scan. Uh, drugs work differently on them. Like it is a different kind of brain and it makes it a lot easier to make bad decisions yeah. if you have it because you don't feel empathy for other people. Um, but yeah, there's a, uh, apparently a lot of evidence that he was not in fact a psychopath yeah i mean well i could see that given that um psychopathy uh i i think that people colloquially 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 use the term sociopath when they mean psychopath in a sense um it's just one of those things where something that's uh the vocabulary of an actual science gets reworked into conventional wisdom and people start to use a words differently or whatever but like what you see in the story of Jeffrey Dahmer is that he, he even says this, that he uh, knocks his victims out because he doesn't want them to suffer because that's not what he's getting out of the thing. And in fact, probably through through the haze can empathize to some degree with what's happening, which is why it's uh, kind of funny that, that he says that to the guy who kills him. The guy goes, I don't care and fucking beats the shit out of him. But he, um, 
Yeah, he probably wasn't clinically a sociopath or a psychopath, rather. Uh, I could see that. I don't fucking know because I'm not, you know, that level of whatever the fuck psychology expert. But um, I, we're getting into something that's honestly like why I kind of wanted to talk about this show because uh, this is why I think Ryan Murphy did a good job here, or at least why this show is interesting and uh, something that people should talk about, especially in like left circles and stuff like that. <clears throat> because. I have a little bit of a psychology background. It's what I dropped out of Ooh, school for. When I, I did not know that. A long, long time ago when I was a young uh, child in college. That's what I was studying. Uh, I studied a little bit of so- sociology, went into psychology, and then dropped out. But um, that you know, that is an interesting double major, I think, because it gets very into nature and nurture. And so this sort of stuff has sort of been swirling around in my head for a long time. And I obviously i'm a, a you know a, a your commie buddy and uh think about things materially but i think that materialists and leftists today and in the circles that we run in do a little bit of material reductionism when it comes to stuff like this and do not fully take in the biological and things like that yeah because we see how liberals tend to abuse the biological from the other end and obviously conservatives and fucking fascists to the degree of eugenics and stuff like that. But I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been reading about like the origins of um, a lot of psychological categorizations and terms that come from like late, uh, uh, late 1800s, like Austrian and European and French science and things like that and where the DSM came from and how uh, people get sort of categorized as degenerates and things like that. And with Dahmer, it's, it's really interesting also that he was gay because like that is a thing that used to be in the DSM and used to be considered, um, you know, like a, like a disorder. And when I know the whole time I'm like, just be gay, just be a normal <laughs> gay guy. It's fine. They'll fuck you. <laughs> yeah. But he, I don't think he, that is just one thing about him in addition to all these other things. And like, I've been rolling that around in my head a lot because, you know, originally homosexuality was considered a disorder all right alongside psychopathy, psychopathy, autism, um, all of these things that some of them are still on the books as disorders and some of them aren't and some of them should and some of them shouldn't be, right? But what's interesting about that is that um, it was considered like biological and that's why the Nazis used it as the basis for eugenicizing uh, a category of people they considered to be like outside of their, you know, goal, which is a, a biological normative area or whatever. And then some people came along and said, uh, well, we need to argue with this because they're using it to to essentialize people on the basis of eugenics. So then the argument came along like, no, it's not. But that also was problematic because then you were saying that homosexuality was a choice and people were coming along after that and saying, well, uh, that's not true either because now you're making it sound like, you know, people chose to live in this way that's being persecuted that's wrong too and then there's there's a third synthesis that happened after that which is that uh things can be biological and not be like wrong or a disorder or whatever and so these questions get really really hazy and gray and confusing and with him i think that the fact that they never landed on a a 
a definite uh, answer to whether what was going on with him was innate and biological or socially produced is good because people are looking for that answer. And it's kind of like the million dollar question in all of life is what, you know, kind of makes a person a person. And there, there are some arguments that I guess go against some materialist ideas or materialist reduction ideas or I would, what I would refer to as materialist reductionist ideas in this show about what made him the way he is. And some of it seems like it might've been outside of his direct control, like, you know, uh, prenatal stuff they go into. Yeah. They give, they gave people all sorts of fucked up drugs back then. Like they gave the deaf kid, uh, drugs that made him deaf when he was being treated for pneumonia. Like yeah. they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Also lead paint was yeah. a factor in, uh, apparently after they stopped, uh, after they banned it, violent crime went down in people who were, you know, kids without lead paint versus with it. There's all this crazy shit. In our, I mean, and that is like, that's not an unmaterialist explanation, right? Like these are right, that's, things in the physical world and like your genes, you know, uh, those are real. Yeah. <laughs> like they're inside of you. His dad said that he had similar urges and maybe had like a milder version of, you know, whatever pathology it was. So like it, it, it has to always be a combination, I think. Yeah, it's, I mean, when I was in school, I what a professor I had would say is, People used to argue over whether it was nature or nurture and where we're at now is understanding that it's an interplay between the two, which is, I think, like dialectical thinking. And um, like it's it's interesting to, to flesh this stuff out. Like, have you ever heard of like twin studies where they separate yes. identical twins? Uh, which kind? Uh, well, the, th the kind I'm thinking of is called longitudinal twin studies is where they separate identical genetically identical twins at birth and then they study them for their entire lives and do case studies on them and then try to come up with conclusions about whether they you know ended up having the same like sim similar similarities and differences in the way that they live their lives and things that they did and uh use that as a basis for the argument of whether something is genetic or something is uh, you know, something is referred to in psychology as nature so genetic or biological or nurture social material external right um and they would have interesting results, you know, obvious things like your hair color and stuff like that. We can go, that's probably biological. That's nature. Uh, but then sometimes like two people who are separated at birth would end up having like the same hobby or something like that. And you go, oh my God, they must've had a predisposition towards uh, this thing being stimulus that really, you know, really activated something in them. Or um, I don't know, but then you would also get into this prenatal stuff where you go, well, this one was raised in a part of the country where there was lead or something like that. And they turned out a certain way. And that's interesting because it's like, you know, it's the the prenatal stuff that they explore in the show, I think is, is really interesting because it's a gray area between um, how free will plays into it. Because like if something happens to you that predetermines the way you're going to be to some direction or pushes things in a certain direction in the womb, that's technically nature. That's technically external, but it is not something that is your fault, really, because yeah. you were a unconscious baby when it happens. So, like, to some degree, the stuff in this show where you're looking at Jeffrey Dahmer as something that a bunch of stuff happened to to shape him a certain way isn't going to sit right with people. People are going to go, that's unfair. He killed all these people. Uh, don't let him off the hook in this sense but it might not be untrue to some degree. Yeah. 
Yeah, they also talked about the hernia operation he had when he was four and how he was never the same after that. And like maybe the anesthesia fucked with his brain on some level. Yeah. Um, they found him to be legally not insane at the trial, which itself is insane to me because I'm sorry, like killing and eating 17 people is not something that sane people do. Yeah. What is sanity at that point? (laughs) (laughs) That might've been like a legal thing. Like they can um, try him harder if he's not, if he's not deemed insane. Cause if you're insane, then you get off the hook for certain things. Yeah. And that's like, I don't know. Like it's, this society is not equipped to deal with this kind of thing in any way, shape or form. And we see that over and over with like the way the victims feel afterwards, the way that Glenda feels afterwards, the way that, um, you know, they try to get some justice and assert their, their, the victim's humanity by like suing anyone who tries to profit off of this. But it just feels like a very, like, even when he gets murdered in prison, I'm like, yeah, I don't think any of this is making anything better. Um, oh, also when you're talking about the twins just now, I think maybe it's sort of the opposite way, but you know, Jeffrey Dahmer had a brother. So if the twins are like, you know, people with the same genetics who are separated at birth and live different lifestyles, um, Jeffrey Dahmer and his brother, who by the way, changed his name after this, he didn't want anything <laughs> to do with it. I get it. Uh, they, you know, maybe had somewhat similar genetics, but more different than if they were twins, but they were raised in the same environment and one of them turned out normal and one of them turned out to be Jeffrey Dahmer. So, uh, yeah, I think there that's the influence of stuff other than how you were raised because they both had the same sort of fucked up chaotic childhood. Their parents were fighting all the time. Uh, real family sure. abolition vibes there too, might I add. <laughs> um, maybe I'm jumping ahead to the section of like, what should we actually do about this? Yeah, well, that's where it's all leading, right? I mean, that's that's kind of why I think it's important to look this whole thing directly in the eye and not sort of sweep stuff under the rug and reduce things to like, oh, let's not even talk about that. Why? Like they burned his brain and stuff and, oh, don't humanize him. I mean, the, the thing is, it, it's not fun to look at this this way and it's fucking harmful in certain ways, but you can't ignore the fact that you can't deny the fact that every human, even the worst human of all time is still a human. And so you need to look at them that way, especially if you are, if, if this is instructive at all, right? If we're doing this so that we understand how to deal with the next Jeffrey Dahmer, when they come along, if we're, you know, theorizing about how to form society and making arguments about what the role of police and stuff like that, then you need to know what actually happened here because, uh, he didn't just, I don't, I don't think that we're going to come to a healthy conclusion if we just reduce it to like he was morally evil or whatever. Yeah, yeah um, that is idealism. That will not stand. Not on this podcast. That's not right. in this house. <laughs> I think that he's probably something you can look at like, um, you know, we're this like randomly producing genetic lottery thing as a community. And we also have all these social things that we can control. And sometimes the thing is going to spit out a person who is extremely dysfunctional within the community of other people. And, uh, you know, to protect other people from the outcomes of that person, we should be able to identify when it's happening, figure out some way to like isolate them, you know, uh, or or like, uh, 
best case scenario, prevent it from happening, prevent people from turning out this way in the first place. Yeah. I mean, if it's at all possible. Yeah. Right. Like I think, uh, like this is a question that abolitionists don't really like, but I feel like it is a valid one. What do we do with people like Jeffrey Dahmer? What do we do with them? And, you know, one answer that I would give as an abolitionist is like, keep them from becoming that in the first place, right? Like maybe if there were more people keeping an eye on him when he was little and it wasn't just his parents who were, you know, having a lot of problems in their own lives, uh, someone might've noticed, oh, hey, he seems like he needs a little extra care, a little extra attention, maybe some therapy to keep him from becoming a... (laughs) a bad guy, <laughs> like not to be too reductive about it, you know, like maybe if there were more adults, it takes a village, right? If there are more adults responsible for every child, um, there would have been more people in a position to help out. Yeah. And I mean, nobody knows exactly how the inner workings of someone's mind like this link all this stuff together. But like he, a lot of serial killers, a lot of people with disorders like this come from these broken home backgrounds and they show that in the show a little bit. It's very funny the way they portray his parents. Uh, <laughs> I own one of the same shirts as his dad. It was real weird to watch Whoa. the episode where he wears it. I got it at a thrift store. I don't know. He's supposed to be from the past, but uh, maybe it's his shirt. I well, no, because the same shirt. I don't think it's <laughs> accurate to the to reality, Jeffrey Dahmer dad. But, um, but like you could pose an argument. I don't know how hard you could hang your hat on it, but you could pose your argument that like part of the McDonald's triad, you know, whatever the fuck system of, uh, of, of ingredients that go into making a serial killer might have to do with the family unit being imperfect in certain ways. Maybe the family unit works really well for some people and maybe it doesn't for others. And maybe that's a case for like communally raising kids and stuff like that, because this kid was left to a situation with parents that clearly didn't like each other. And it affected him a lot. If you know, if you want to look at this and make an argument uh, kind of Freudianly or whatever, I, I don't know, maybe, you know, but maybe he would not have turned out as, to be Jeffrey Dahmer if he didn't have all these like things stewing that were created in that part of the process. Yeah. Well, he was, he had this pathological fear of abandonment, which in his particular brain manifested itself in the form of, uh, he couldn't have real relationships with people. And the only way he could feel close to someone is if he was in total control of them. Yeah. He hated it when uh when people had to go to work. I'm I like know. that's that's my like my controversial hot take that I would tweet and get canceled for. <laughs> like Jeffrey Dahmer was anti-work. <laughs> that's what this was really about. Yeah. Like I have to go to work. He's like the fuck you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. He's a comrade. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He he just hated it when people had to go to work. He's it's, like, "No, you got to stay here with me." Duh. It's so funny cuz like obviously we're joking, but like the difference between saying something like this on a podcast and saying it on Twitter is so vast. <laughs> If you tweeted that, it would get immediately taken out of context and people would be like, this is, this person's serious. They're saying that Jeffrey Dahmer is socialism. Anti-work hero. That's the only thing going on here. He's just misunderstood. Um, 
But yeah, he really didn't like it when people uh, when people left him. I wouldn't yeah. have. I would have been anti work if I was him too, because he had some wacky ass jobs. He worked he at a did. chocolate factory. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah. He's like basically Willy Wonka. He worked at a chocolate factory, and then he worked at a like a clothing store, an apartment store that he stole a mannequin from. Oh, and then that whole arc happens with his uh, his grandmother, where she like finds Ugh. the mannequin and stuff, and kind of uh. can tell that he's killing people. Real spooky. Yeah, I mean, okay, there are definitely some class issues here. I know we're joking around about work, but he constantly feels very alienated and not in control of his own life, right? Because he's a working class person. He has to work these shitty jobs and yeah, people he, tell him what to do. And he's like, he says, he's like, I'm fucking sick of it. I'm, I'm sick of people telling me what to do. This is the only thing that could make me feel some control. And like, obviously, you know, most people just fucking shoplift or something. They don't go out and kill people. But this is a real thing that he's responding to. Yeah. I'm going to get real galaxy brand here for a minute. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about how he's a drunk. Oh, uh, yeah. The alcoholism is a very important part. Thank you for remembering because I forgot. Constantly pounding Budweiser's. It's a hilarious visual <laughs> aspect of the story. I get some brewskis. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a Trailer Park Boys character or something. <laughs> He's always got a beer in his hand. But, um, you know, he probably obviously wasn't having a good time the way he was drinking. He was drinking compulsively, right? And. There, I read this book a couple years ago called Chasing the Scream that talks about like the uh, origins of the DEA and the drug war and stuff like that, and also talks about addiction a lot. And uh, one of the, the the lines from it that really stuck with me and that I think about a lot is how addiction is a social disorder. They say the phrase "addiction is a disease of loneliness." Mm. Um, it's really interesting. A crackhead said that in mm. the book that they interviewed, and what they're talking about is like, okay, so like for example, there was this experiment with rats where they took a rat and they put it in a cage and they had a little red button and when the rat pressed the red button they got a little bit of cocaine right and they use this the police use this the drug war used this right a lot uh, uh, as a, a way of explaining how addictive cocaine was because the rat would sit there and he would press the button a million times right and you'd go wow this shit is really addictive right but someone came along and debunked this uh theory with another experiment because what they pointed out was well, rats are social creatures, so you you created um you you altered the rat's living space to begin with by isolating it, and you created a, like a really bad experiment because experiments are supposed to be controlled to begin with, and then one factor is supposed to be changed. That's a scientific method, right? So he said, this other scientist said, I'm going to do the same experiment, but with rats in their natural habitat, which is their communal. So they, he put a bunch of rats together in a cage and then put the same cocaine button in it. And what he found was that the rats didn't sit there and do a fuck ton of cocaine. They did a little bit, which is like partying, right? Like yeah. using substances in a social manner as opposed to a compulsive manner. And so what he argued is that uh, the reason that the rats in the first experiment would sit there and hit the cocaine button over and over again is because they were being deprived of the place that they usually get their source of, um, you know, whatever, joy and, and dopamine and whatever, which was hanging out with other rats. And so with a guy like Jeffrey Dahmer, who's clearly 
a lonely guy, you know, he's getting a lot out of compulsive behavior like drinking, which is a way to fill something existential and social. And uh, he's an alien, you know, I mean, that's that's part of the story here is that this guy is a weirdo and he fucking isn't getting anything. So he's just hitting a button over and over again. And, you know, we don't really have Jeffrey Dahmer's walking around anymore but we do have the internet and part of me thinks that people are probably biologically similar to him walking around, but they're just weirdos online now and they aren't fucking going and doing the things that he did, which I don't know if that's progress or what. I just, it seems it's like an argument. I guess I think you could pose. I mean, whether or not that person becomes a murderer, a lot of people have addiction problems and it's bad. Right. Like whether or not they become harmful to people other than themselves. Like it's a very real thing. It's just as real for Jeffrey Dahmer as it is for an addict who only hurts themselves. Yeah, true. And uh, it's a real problem. Um, Wait, sorry. Where is I going with this? Um, We don't know that there are no Jeffrey Dahmers walking around now. I suppose By the way. (laughs) I suppose, yeah. uh, You know, they could be, it could be anyone. Well, I think statistically the, uh, at least the, like the, the, the crime statistics say that there's no serial killers right now, but that's a good point is that just means the crime statistics say that there could be serial killers that aren't being caught. Yeah. Cops don't do anything. I think, uh, We've established this, but it does seem like the 70s was the golden age of serial killers. Oh, wait, this was the 90s. Okay, so the 70s to the 90s? I don't know. (laughs) Haven't looked at the stats here. Well, people make arguments based on lead crime theory about that. Mm, The lead paint, yeah. No one knows for sure, but there's like a few arguments people make about why it dropped off like that and why there was such a heyday in the 70s, 80s, and then he's kind of like one of the last ones in the early 90s. Mm, Well, the pastor in jail has some ideas. Because he asks him, you know, why are there so many guys like me? And the pastor's answer is kind of interesting. He says, the interstate highway system, right? right it enables you to, you know, go kill someone and dump their body somewhere and get really far away. So it's like a crime of opportunity. That's a material explanation. He said, World War II and Vietnam... You know, guys come home, they're all fucked up in the head. (laughs) They don't have any kind of mental health care for them. And then they're bad dads. And, you know, that's kind of a blame the dad route, but perhaps some truth to it. He also blames the rise of pornography, Uh which I find pretty suspect myself. I don't buy that one Uh, at all, but uh, (laughs) that's a thing people think for sure. Yeah. And then he says, you know, people just they they move away from god and i'm like well i don't think that's true but i do think what he's getting at here is perhaps the fact that um and you know i always bring it back around to capitalism right we live in a very alienated world uh where people don't know each other and a lot of the time it's community that keeps people in line keeps people healthy however you want to say it um also you know, the church 
I don't think that that is a good way to keep people in line. But it is true that the modern era, especially, you know, this was supercharged in the 70s when we got neoliberalism, right? Yeah. It eats away at these social bonds and these old institutions that used to keep people, it used to hold society together. It used to keep people in line, you know, for better or for worse. And I think those things needed to go, but they have not been replaced with anything. And that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. I mean, like if I, this is kind of a weird connection to make, but I just read, uh, well, I guess I read it a year ago, but the dawn of everything, the, the David Graeber, David Wengrow book, uh, that Graeber wrote right before he died. And it's like this big, uh, critique of, um, wow. What is the term? The fucking, uh, term for like the, the sort of Marxist theory of, progress on a line like i guess historical materialism but like the phases of history you know he talks a lot about how like there are rousseauian thinkers who think like uh we need to go back to primitive communism or there are people who are in more of a situation like you're describing where we're looking at something like church and we're able to realize like it did serve a function right and it for very imperfectly gave people this source of uh meaning and community but we've evolved past it. It's a vestigial organ. It's being cast off. A conservative is going to go, no, we need to go back, right? And the, the thing they talked about in that book, The Dawn of Everything, was how we are, both of these things are bad thinking because you can't put a genie back in a bottle and we're mm-hmm. never going back to a place where religion is going to serve the function that it served, that kept, that you know, kept a lot of people off the streets and in each other's faces and getting all the good things that come out of that. Um, but... That leads us to this question, and this is kind of, I mean, this is how I think of where we're at. Like, I really, I tend to agree with what you just said, which is that we're just in the in-between space. We're like, okay, something else is going to come along to solve these problems, but we're not in it right now, which is why everyone's so fucking alienated. And it's a perfect explanation for the groundwork that you have to lay out for, like, a Dahmer to exist and walk around and do all this shit. Um, Church, obviously, is, is... not going to save him, especially right now. Church existed while he was doing all this stuff. No one yeah. wants to go to it. It sucks. It doesn't include everyone. You well, know? his grandma tried to get him to go and he didn't want to. In fact, he's like, I like Satan, actually. <laughs> yeah. Remember? Yeah. She thought that it would cure him, which is like, you know, it's a nice idea from grandma, but he was not of the generation where that would have spoken to him or helped at all. Yeah, and church is right-wing and exclusive, and he's gay and stuff like that. I mean, he did eventually get religious, but that was like when he was in prison and knew he was going to be in there forever. So, And or knew he was going to be killed pretty soon because someone had already tried to kill him at this point. Yeah, and I think that he might get the death penalty anyway or whatever, but he's I, he really, I mean, he was like an atheist in the foxhole in that situation. Like he, yeah. he or not an atheist in the foxhole. Like he got, he got himself baptized like last minute, probably just because he started thinking about the question of what happens to you after you die. You yeah. Know? I mean, I think maybe he was genuinely looking for some kind of salvation because he did feel bad about what he did. Like he tried to stop himself from doing it. He went like nine years, I think, between his first and second murder. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously he still did it, but he was trying to figure out some, like, because he thought he was going to live the rest of his life in jail. He didn't know how long it was going to be, 
but it, he wanted to die. Like he said over and over again, you know, I deserve to die for the things I've done. Um, but yeah, I think he was genuinely trying to come around to some way of living with himself after what he did. Yeah. And they contrast that with like the story of John Wayne Gacy and how like he had the crazy thing he said right before they electrocuted him where he was just like, suck my dick or whatever. I can't remember exactly <laughs> what it was. Like, you can kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so, that guy does deserve to be killed. Uh, totally. I mean, it sounds like he doesn't even disagree with you that much because uh, <laughs> of his his like psychopathy or so- sociopathy or whatever. Yeah, yeah no, totally. Um, and it's eerie to look at it like that. And I understand why people are turned off by it and grossed out by it um, and just feel probably morally icky like having these questions be raised but uh he was a person a very fucked up person who did bad things you know but there's like i I don't know i guess my mind is always going to be curious in these situations instead of just wanting to sweep this under the rug well that brings me to this last part that i have in mind which is why do people like to watch true crime? Why do they listen to true crime in general? Especially normie women, but <laughs> you know, other people as well. Yeah. Um, hold on, I'll pause. One. Okay. True crime, true crime. <laughs> My friend's band has a song called True Crime and it's very good and I hope that I can use it at the end of this episode. That's what, was that how the song goes? Yeah. That's cool. I like it. It's sensational. <laughs> so sensational. It's really good. So, okay, to answer your question, I guess, like, I am a cis man, so I don't, I have ideas about this, but they're probably not worth a whole lot. I'm very curious. That's right. From your perspective. <laughs> but I, to me, the, uh, the, the explanation that makes sense to me, but I don't know how much weight I would put behind it. Something I'm kind of thinking about a lot right now, honestly, is like morbidity as a way of sublimating uh, fears and traumas that people already have. And you see this with, you know, people like yourself and myself that are just into goth shit. You could make an argument that that is taking all this dark evil stuff that exists in the world and has happened to us in our lives because we're humans and inverting it. Um, Oh know. yeah. And not to mention fear of death. Right. Yeah. I mean, if I had to psychoanalyze my own um, Gothic sensibilities, it would probably be my uh, lifelong and crippling fear of death. Uh, maybe is less scary when I can make a joke out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's going all right so far. I mean, death fucking terrifies me. It's exactly why I wear it all the time and stuff and make jokes about it. It's also why I'm a comedian. Every comedian will tell you this fucking thing about how they're all broken inside and all this stuff. And that's why, you know, the the process of turning it all into jokes is uh, cathartic or whatever. It's a very common idea in stand-up among people who, you know, largely self-servingly uh, have a high idea about themselves as people that transmute things in this way, but it's probably true. And um, I, it's also true of like, 
I don't know if I want to go here. Fuck it. Uh, fetishists, right? I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer himself, like the way he was describing what he was doing or the way the story describes it is that he like, this was kind of like a, this is a sexual thing for him. Right. And he talked about having fantasies and his dad talked about having those same fantasies and something was happening there. And that's how he processed it, which is bad because it killed a bunch of people and shit. Um, but that's how his brain processed this sort of stuff. So I think that like with, with like the idea that a lot of people watch true crime, I mean, the stereotype there is usually if I'm a stand-up comic and I'm going to make a joke about this, I'm going to specify white women. Mm. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there is a certain uh, profile of like a normie middle-class woman who is, I guess, statistically speaking, more likely to be white. <sighs> is that what it is? I don't know. Um, but like what I've heard also honestly also from comics who are women who talk about this is that like the reason being is that you have a deep-seated fear that you are the most statistical likely victim of this sort of stuff so to consume it in a morbid fashion is pleasurable to some degree in mm. in in a weird way not in a normal way you know not in a vanilla <laughs> yeah. way in a way that gives you dominion over the thing. Again, no such thing as a normal person. True. <laughs> this is uh, this is where the normies show their true colors. Yeah. Like I've never fantasized erotic. I've never eroticized the idea of being the victim of a murder. That's uh, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, someone has. I mean, I think you're right. There's no such thing as a normal person, and if you. Uh, if you if you talk to a person long enough, you'll find that they do this in some way, unless you're talking to the most comfortable person on earth who has nothing that they need to process. But most people, whether it be true crime or whatever the fuck, have some sort of complex, uh, you know, a way of, of turning a, a, a traumatic thing or a fear or whatever inside out. And I think true crime is just one of them. Yeah. Because it's like definitely like libidinal. Like I don't think everyone's listening to true crime podcasts because they're planning on becoming true crime researchers. I, it's it's hitting a nerve that feels makes you feel away. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely some truth to that. Um, wanting to sort of understand and explore the uh, the violence and the bad stuff that is perpetrated against women because women are the majority of the victims in these stories. Um, maybe there's also a weird, uh, probably wrong-headed idea that they can just, you know, if, if they just know what to look out for, <laughs> they can keep themselves safe. Yeah. They just need to study these guys really well, and then they'll be fine. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, too, just, like, want an escape from their boring-ass lives, you know? It's, like, the same reason people watch horror movies. But, of course, you know, there are, like, real people involved, so it feels a little more uh, hashtag problematic. Yeah. I don't know. Um, maybe, okay, I asked uh, one friend why she likes it, and she's like, well, you know, maybe it's that I'm, I'm like, whatever's going on in my life, it's not as bad as that. <laughs> That's that's a fair way of looking at things. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but like, yeah, maybe also they want to understand why 
these things happen. Well, I think something that's really telling is that if you ask a lot of people this question, you don't get a clear answer, which means that this is not deliberate. It's coming from somewhere deeper that people don't understand about themselves. And that's fine. That's normal. We all have things we don't understand about ourselves. If you ask me why I uh, like certain foods more than others, I probably wouldn't be able to be like, well, I guess my brain is doing a thing where it need thinks it needs salt or something. I just, I don't know. I just like Cheez-Its. I don't know. I just like them, you know? Yeah, man. Let people enjoy things. <laughs> well, this is like a way that people <laughs> enjoy things. It's libidinal. And I guess what uh, where I'm at with this way of looking at things this way that I think is interesting and that I get into conflicts with materialists about, or what I would call a material reductionist, is if we understand things this way, right? If we know that people seek out things like true crime out of morbidity because it helps them process dark things by giving them control over it. And it's kind of this interesting thing you might refer to as like perverse or something. Is there a moral imperative to tell people we should or shouldn't be doing this? Eh. I don't think so. I think it's like, what do you mean? You know, eh. You should uh, enjoy things that you like. But some people will go very far and go down a postmodern wormhole with this and say, like, no, if we're going to build communism, this, this starts, like, internally with the way we our minds work and all this shit. Yeah, because if you consume the right media that a good person would, that's how we get communism. Duh, I think Karl Marx said that. <laughs> right, it's like profoundly anti-material, right? And the better consumer choices you make, the more communist it is. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking dumb. I also think like there's some extent to which... Uh, so I've also had people say, like, well, the problem with stuff like this is that it reifies these ideas, right? Which ones? Tell me them. Uh tell you who or what which ideas <laughs> well and i'll tell you if that's true or not um i don't know i mean like with gender stuff and like uh pornography sometimes people will say like you know you're reifying all this horrible stuff that's being expressed through pornography when you watch it or whatever the fuck i'm gonna say that's false i think so and uh or like when people uh you know, say that you shouldn't have like kinky sex or whatever. This is an argument I got into recently. And oh my God, tell like, me. Oh, you're reifying all this stuff, even though, you know, I mean, I was making the argument of like, well, you take dominion over it. That's, I think it's what's happening according to this model that I've laid out here. Um, and, I, but I found it to be an analogous argument to like when people argue about school shootings mm. and, or not school shootings, but like video games and movies where there's like gun violence, they'll say like, Oh, but you know, those movies reinforce the idea that guns are good and stuff. You could make a counter argument that maybe having all this morbid shit out there, maybe having video games where you shoot people and stuff like that actually operates as an outlet for people that had the thing in their head where they wanted to fucking shoot somebody, you know? I don't know if that I think that's true either. I just think neither of these things are true. Yeah. I think that arguing about the media we consume is a dead end. And ultimately, you could make an argument that's very materialist or very idealist for it. And it's just like you're being a sourpuss and you should let people enjoy things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I'm mo most concerned with what political message they're sending. Right. Because I'm I'm a politics gal, political junkie, as they say. Uh, and I can see it uh, from both sides as an abolitionist. Right. Because. I could see how some of them are copaganda or even if they're not um, people just 
take it as a take a lesson that the cops need to do their jobs better and maybe we need to give them more money in order to help them do that um you know also on the negative side maybe it kind of spreads the idea that this is what crime is right that people who commit this violent interpersonal harm are all these irredeemable psychopaths who just have to be locked away forever when that is not the case with the majority of even violent crime even interpersonal harm um most people feel bad about it and want a chance to make it better uh which is really a cornerstone of abolition but also like like I've been saying, I do think there are some like pro-abolition messages to be taken here because a lot of these stories are about how the cops did a shitty, shitty job because that's not in fact what their job is. Uh, they didn't catch the serial killer. They were racist. They were classist. You know, they were incompetent. They protected the bad cops. And, uh, you know, I think it's also worth mentioning that these are stories, generally speaking, about extreme outliers crime wise and that is what makes them compelling you know right that's that's one of the fundamental problems with true crime right is that it only uses outliers and if you sit there and immerse yourself in nothing but outliers your brain starts to form a picture of that as the norm which is like not dissimilar to just how like racist propaganda works in taking you know if you ever fucking look at like Fox News or OANN or whatever New York Post bullshit. Like the New York Post is a really good example. The New York Post just puts out stories that are just like, a man beat the shit out of a bodega guy. And you go like, why is this news? This isn't really like something I need to know about, but it's always the specific detail that is serving a point is that it was a black guy and a white bodega guy or something. Mm -hmm. And that reinforces and it's usually a statistical outlier. Like that's not every violent case of violent crime, but it's it's what gets put out a certain way in that same way just the idea that there's crime in general outliers serve to reinforce the idea that we're living in this terrible horrible world i mean you see this reflected in like fucking new york city politics right now with like this shit where over the last two years every news story has been about how this is supposedly the worst new york city that's existed since the 70s yeah. which is like statistically untrue and it resulted in this rightward shift in the midterms where like every county in the state turned like right to some degree yeah yeah um what was i gonna say it's all very true i mean okay i feel like we should try to answer or at least address the question like in a communist future world what do you do with people like Jeffrey Dahmer I mean I think the most important point still for people to understand is that like we've been saying that is an extreme outlier and you shouldn't build a whole entire system around that outlier because that is not what's appropriate for most of the people who do bad things to other people um that said like yeah, if there's someone in communist future world who has been has had all the benefits of this healthier, more communal society, right? <laughs> They've been raised in the, you know, by lots of different very well-trained people in the they went to maybe they went to like the teenage crush for a while. They need to get away from their parents. They can do whatever they like and they they're still turning out like this. Uh yeah, I don't know. I feel like they should be institutionalized. You can't stop fucking killing someone. Community can send you send you somewhere. I don't know. Fuck. I mean, 
I uh, yeah, I think the the abolitionist solution here is uh, something that maybe doesn't get spoken loudly enough because it's just such a easily co-optable and changeable sentiment. But like a serious abolitionist will tell you that we are kind of reforming the police. You just don't use the term police reform because that's what liberals use. But like in theory, there would be someone, probably an agent of the government whose job is to do this. It's just that it would not be a police officer because the, the institution of policing, as we know it, is unreformable and rotten to the core. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess short answer is a fucking social worker, right? Yeah. I mean, there used to be yeah. an infrastructure in place for people with mental disorders and stuff like that. And it's been, you know, evolved in a lot of ways historically. Um, it's, been, it's been imperfect, you know, in a lot of ways. But um, the there, there's a future, I think, progress for that in society there's a goal that could be met um i mean i just read that book health communism and they talk about that a lot in it about how like we used to have these um post you know world war ii like institutional warehouse uh psych wards that were scary and bad and we sort of evolved past them you know but then capitalism sort of after after we deinstitutionalized those institutions uh, it found ways to continue extracting people and to use their terminology, like uh, extractive abandonment, abandonment, mm. abandoning people in various ways. And, you know, in, in the eighties, Reagan uh, came along and just fucking flushed the entire system out because he, he became governor in California, which is where a lot of that stuff started. And, one of his things when he was governor was deinstitutionalizing California by breaking down, um, you know, in a very like proto neoliberal way, uh, the idea that the government should fund this sort of stuff. So he outsourced a lot of that stuff to private companies and stuff like that, and also just demolished it. Just did not want to live in a society where um, the part of the government's job was to take care of people who could not function in society as it existed at that moment. And then when he became president, he did it on a national scale. So he had a, an experiment when he was governor a statewide and then a fucking national one. And that's why we just have so many homeless people right now, because a lot of them are just mentally ill. And like, you can fucking just yell at them and go get a job. And it's like, well, the person's brain is not biologically functioning in a way where they're just going to be able to do this thing you're imagining where they can uh, work at McDonald's, you know, and then go live in an apartment. Um, So there used to be a safety net and yeah, it's, we don't want to return to the way it was. We want a new thing. Right. Yeah. But again, like the people that we're talking about here in this instance is such a small number. Like there have only been (laughs) so many serial killers in this fucked up world if we had a less fucked up world, there would be even fewer of them. Right. So, you know, maybe we cross that bridge when we come to it. Well, it probably would require very little then, right? To house and just isolate. One person. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I feel like we could figure that out as a community. You don't even need the state to do that. I think that's actually probably a pretty good way of putting it because it's a complete opposite to what is happening with true crime and with um scaring people right now 
politically, which is that Jeffrey Dahmer is the tip of the spear of the argument for all of the entire police industrial complex existing. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. It's everyone, everything that's happening is being justified with the specter of a Jeffrey Dahmer, right? (sighs) So, Think about it the other way around, right? Let's think about those millions of people that are behind him yeah. first, and then we'll deal with him later. You yeah, know? there's like 10 fucking people like that. Again, yeah. I feel like we could deal with it. I feel like we could figure that shit out, and it's not a good justification for building an entire system that does very bad things to the vast majority of the people who get caught up in it. Do you know about Welcome to Fear City? Okay, so tell me more. It's fucking cool. Um, it's I mean it's bad, but the image is cool. There was uh, an era in the 1970s in New York where this same thing was being used politically, right? Scaring people and it resulting in a right wing political surge because people thought that we needed more police. It's happened historically over and over again. In the 70s, what the the NYPD did is they put out a pamphlet called Welcome to Fear City, and it was a survival guide to New York City. Oh, my God. And it has this fucking insane Grim Reaper illustration on the cover (laughs) of it that I think I might get a tattoo of. Oh, shit. (laughs) But uh, it's a tale as old as time. I'm surprised that they haven't brought that back. Right. We're living in (laughs) Eric Adams, New York. Did you hear about the rat czar? No. <laughs> One of Eric wow, Adams. your worst enemy. I know. One of Eric Adams's things right now is that he hates rats. And so well, I know about that. I saw the press conference. <laughs> He's like, the rats do not run this city. We do. I'm like, dude, if you have to say that, you've already lost <laughs> the rats. Right. There are so point. many rats. Well, he, he created a like a position that they're hiring for right now called Rat Czar. Good. Which is someone whose job is to head up his war on rats. I'm going to try to get Murray the job. I think. Oh, my God. He'd do such a good job. There are quite a lot of rats, I've noticed. There are. <laughs> I was like, is this just a Bushwick thing or is it everywhere? Yeah. And apparently it's everywhere. But I feel like it's the worst here or the best if you like rats. Well, you know, maybe the, we should be thinking about what to do with them instead of just uh, mm. killing them, you know? Mm. Let's uh, let's figure out how to be humane to all the people, and then we can uh, maybe work on the rats stuff. Okay, but eventually I want to live in a place where rats have a good time. Uh, rat city. Yeah, I want to build them their own, like, Welcome giant Welcome to cage. rat rat park like in the experiment yeah that'd be cool they won't get addicted to drugs anymore they can just have fun with their friends it's true and they can do small amounts of cocaine with each other oh they're <laughs> just like us yeah. oh well i think we might be coming to the end of this episode um shout out to jesse jackson for getting involved i meant to talk a little more about him he's so cool uh this is at a time when you know, homophobia was a real big problem. AIDS was really scary. And, you know, he even had a staffer, this might be apocryphal, but probably not telling him like, are you sure you really want to get involved with something like this, something with these people? And he's like, yeah, of course I do. You know, just because people are gay doesn't mean that they don't deserve, you know, to be treated like human beings. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, 
I also thought it was cool when he showed up at Glenda's house. Do you know if that really happened? I don't, but I'm just assuming the show was honest. It might not have been. That that would be like if Bernie Sanders showed up at one of our houses to help us out with our problems. Yeah. It'd be so cool. I've heard there are a lot of rats here. <laughs> I am the new rat czar. <laughs> Hello, Jake. I uh, thought it was wrong what the DHS did, sending the goons to your house. Uh, I... I thought your joke was very funny about killing killing the ice agents, cultural appropriation. I, I definitely got it. Uh, <laughs> obviously a joke, and I'm going to fight for you. Thank you, Bertie. <laughs> You're Bertie. welcome. <laughs> like, that's got to be so cool. That was probably really cool for her. Yeah. She voted for him twice. Yeah, yeah. No, it was cool. I mean, that's one thing that Ryan Murphy does pretty well is incorporate actual historical figures into these things. Yeah. In a yeah. very realistic and stylized way. Yeah. Uh, speaking of historical things, also, I know this is not the point of the show, but it really made the gay bathhouses look like fun. <laughs> <laughs> like they had fucking hot tubs in there. Yeah. Just like fun, sexy times in the sauna. Like, like I know it's bad that they had to do that because they couldn't fuck like, you know, in their homes or whatever, but... Seems like they really made the most of it. Bathhouses are cool. Have you ever been to one? I've been to uh, a non-sexual, <laughs> the non-sexual kind. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> I just, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know they were normal. You know about the gay, gay, gay bathhouses? I almost got canceled. I said normal bathhouses. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought there were only gay bathhouses. I was getting, oh. getting at, and then I went to uh, one recently and had a massage. Which one? It was in Williamsburg. I don't know what it was oh, called. Ba- a bathhouse. That's what it's called, I think. I think so. And then uh, I also ate at a Russian restaurant in downtown or lower manhattan that is also a bathhouse so apparently these things are everywhere yeah dude i didn't know about Fucking, that <laughs> wow you lived with sean for how many years and he fucking loves that shit <laughs> i bet yeah he just likes to you know fucking chill out yeah eat in, in a towel and get drunk in the I- heat and yeah, it's fun. I, I get it. I just didn't really understand that you could do that until recently. And Aww. I'm going to do the hell out of it. Oh, now. my God. It's so good. It's like my favorite thing to do, actually. I'm so broke right now. I like need to get on the list for one of these places. Yeah. Spa Castle or whatever. Yeah. Really, Troika uh, is what the place was called. Nice. Yeah, I love the, the Russian ones. They're good. They beat you with the oak branches. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, you know, maybe if you stay late enough, you can get your dick sucked. <laughs> but by one of the old Russian men? Yeah. <laughs> like, there aren't, like, gay ones or straight ones anymore because we're integrated now. Yeah. There's just, like, one bathhouse to rule them all. Totally. Can I say one final thing about the, the show? Sure. This is my main critique of it. Uh, the title is Monster, subtitle Dahmer, colon, a Jeffrey Dahmer story. Or so this is like too much. There's too many words in it. And mm. I think they did a bad job with that. Do so. better, Netflix. <laughs> it could have just been called Dahmer, colon, a monster story. I don't know. Well, naming things is hard. It's true. And then we have circled right back around to where we started. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jake. It's always super fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, um, oh, plugs. You want to plug your show? Yeah. I listen to Pod Damn America and Why You Mad, my podcasts. And I'm going on tour with my friend Mishka Shubali in January. 
through the Midwest, the South, and Texas. Um, my tour dates will be on my Twitter, which is at Feral Jokes, if Twitter is still a thing in a month. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Follow Jake. Go to his shows. It's finished. It's finished. Yeah. Uh, she's a beast. I call her karma. She eats your heart out like Jeffrey Dahmer. Be careful. Try not to lead her on. Shawty heart is on steroids cause her love is so strong You may fall in love when you meet her If you get the chance you better keep her She sweet as pie but if you break her heart She turn cold as a freezer That fairy tale ending with a night in shiny armor She can be my sleeping beauty I'm gonna put her in